This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Welcome to the Hindu's In Focus podcast. I'm Zubeda Hamid, your host for today. While still frowned upon in most parts of the country, live-in relationships are becoming increasingly common. Couples can choose not to get married for a number of reasons and still stay together, share a household and possibly children. So how legal are these relationships in India? In a recent judgment, the Allahabad High Court refused to grant protection to an interfaith couple in a live-in relationship and it stressed upon the need to create awareness about the emotional and societal pressures and legal hassles that may be created through such relationships. The Supreme Court, however, over the years has recognized the personal liberty of individuals involved and in a number of judgments conferred certain rights. For instance, live-in relationships are covered under the protection from domestic violence law. But what happens in the case of separations, alimony and children? Are these protections also available to same-sex and queer couples? With increasing harassment faced by inter-caste and inter-religious couples in the country, when even getting married has become a challenge, do live-in relationships require more legal security? We discuss these issues and more with Mihira Sood, a lawyer at the Supreme Court and a visiting professor at the National Law University, Delhi. Welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast, Mihira Sood. Hi, pleasure to be here. Ma'am, last month, the Allahabad High Court had refused to grant protection to a live-in couple who belonged to different religions. The couple had said that they were being harassed by the police. Could you talk to us a little bit about this case and also tell us about the legality of live-in relationships in India? So this is, uh, to my mind, clearly contradictory to uh, what the Supreme Court has already said about live-in relationships. Um, I think as far as the status of live-in relationships is concerned, it comes from a couple of different sources. One is the Supreme Court itself having recognized live-in relationships um, and recognized that couples have a right to enter into live-in relationships, right? They have a right to take that decision. But it didn't go beyond that to talk about what are the responsibilities of parties towards each other in a live-in relationship? What are the duties and rights that these couples have qua society? Other than to say that you cannot be harassed for living in uh, being in a living relationship, you know, in terms of other rights that married couples enjoy, those have not been explicitly laid out. The second source of recognition is in the Domestic Violence Act, where again, you know, you have within the concept of a shared household, it includes live-in relationships. So you have these two areas where live-in relationships are protected. One is that you have a right to enter into it. And two is that you have a right against domestic violence. Uh, but beyond that, uh, the court has not, and neither has the legislature, uh, given a lot of clarity. And the major areas that are ambiguous are, you know, do you have a right uh, what are your rights and responsibilities in the event of a breakdown of a relationship? What are your rights and responsibilities with regard to child custody, maintenance, alimony, and any of those things? Uh, what are your other financial obligations towards each other? And, um, you know, in the absence of this ambiguity, uh, sorry, in the absence of this clarity and the presence of this kind of ambiguity, uh, this is what creates a very 
ripe situation for law enforcement agencies, uh, once particularly those in you know, non-cosmopolitan areas that are not particularly sensitized to these kind of uh, situations uh, to act in very regressive ways, particularly where it involves interfaith or intercaste relationships. So the, the, the ambiguity, the lack of clarity from the courts, from the legislature is, is what is, contributes to this kind of misuse of powers. So you said, ma'am, that the Supreme Court has clearly laid down the right of any person to enter into such a relationship, correct? Yes. So by Article 21 uh, guaranteeing uh, personal life and liberty, is that how, is that how this freedom is derived? Uh, yes, it is mentioned that, that that is what has been cited in this, in the Supreme Court case on on living relationships. That under Article Twenty One, there can be no restriction on a person choosing to live consensually, an adult choosing to live consensually with a person of their choice. I think, however, if it had been also, you know, grounded in Article Fourteen, in the right to equality and the right to non discrimination, we would have then had a uh, framework for living relationships that is a lot more equal to what we have in marriages, and the you know framing it as purely a personal liberty issue and not an equality issue, I think has done it a disservice because you then do not have you've not had the opportunity to frame the same kind of rights and responsibilities as you have in marriage. Is this an area that the courts should look into, or should is this something the legislature should act upon? This is something that ideally the legislature needs to act upon because these are areas where it's not just a question of recognition. The courts can grant recognition. The courts can say it should be recognized. But it's not the court's job to get into the nitty-gritty of lawmaking, you know, and what is going to happen in this situation, what is the kind of alimony that is good, and how will you, what is the, uh, you know, standards of evidence or proof of relationship, these kind of you know, minutiae are not for the courts to go into. And very often our courts have gone into it and have had to go into it simply because the lack of action by the legislature has led to a vacuum where people's rights are not being recognized. But ideally, yes, it's something that the legislature needs to get into. There's a lot of detail involved. It's not just a question of, you know, blanketly declaring that, you know, I recognize you or I feel that you should have this right. But there's a lot of detail that needs to be hammered out. Um, and this is something that the legislature needs to do. And, you know, if, if as, you know, we're seeing the legislature seems to, parliament seems to be uh, keen on bringing forward something like a uniform civil code, you know, then it would be a shame if at the very least it didn't also cover things like living relationships because these are, uh, you know, matters that are squarely covered by you know, family law and civil rights in that in that sphere. What happens, ma'am, if a couple has performed a personal religious ceremony, for instance, but has not really registered their marriage under any of the laws in India? Does that count as a live-in relationship or would, the, would it be recognized as a marriage? It uh, should be recognized as a marriage because many marriages are not registered. And, uh, you know, even though you now have a provision for registration, even mandatory registration, you know, it's, it's just a fine for delayed registration. It's not that the marriage is not recognized. I'm talking about under the Hindu Marriage Act, uh, you know, which would govern the majority of, of the country. Uh, there is uh, um, 
a provision for registration post the fact of marriage and it has to be done within a certain amount of time and if it is not done it can be done with a payment or a fine so there is there's nothing like you know registration is necessary for the validity of a marriage to be recognized it is just uh, something that is being encouraged by the law but it doesn't affect the lack of it doesn't affect the validity of a marriage so it would be seen as a marriage and what happens to children who are born of live-in relationships do they get the same rights as children born in marriages children born of live-in relationships would be treated presently under law as children born out of wedlock any child born out of wedlock whether it is in a live-in relationship or not in a live-in relationship uh they are you know treated under law though i i don't like using that term uh but they are treated as illegitimate children and they have they have the rights as uh children born within wedlock they have the same rights so um you know the the it's the law is very clear that uh the lack of marriage doesn't affect the rights of children qua their parents the supreme court in a several judgments uh, across many years now has uh, granted some sort of protections for living relationships for instance um in uh, it has said that they should not be subject to police harassment it has in 2018 said that intercaste and interreligious marriages should be protected by the state by provision of safe homes etc how how uh, how well are these being uh, implemented and how well are these being used as precedents by the lower courts so it's very difficult to give a blanket uh, kind of uh, answer to this because it really varies from state to state Uh, and even from case to case unfortunately the fact remains that a lot of what happens on the ground is circumstance specific um in terms of you know the state government that is in power and what is uh, you know their position on these kind of relationships what instructions have been given by the state government to the local police on how to handle these kind of situations uh whether or not the cases have been you know gotten a lot of limelight and you know the the authorities are under pressure to act in a certain way um uh, all these factors also uh you know play play a lot and affect how these uh how these situations are handled so unfortunately there isn't a standard a couple of uh, recent high court judgments uh ruled that the woman in the in the case of a live-in relationship was not entitled to alimony or maintenance from the man uh, because the relationship was a live-in one and not a marital one uh you just told us a little earlier about how there is a lack of clarity and there is a lot of ambiguity on this subject of alimony and maintenance what are the current laws with regard to it do they only apply to a legally wedded wife for instance yeah uh, so the thing is our family laws do not recognize live-in relationships we have you know only as i said some judgments from the supreme court the domestic violence act uh that recognize live in relationships um the there has been no amendment in the criminal procedure code for example section 125 which deals with uh maintenance and that still uses the terms husband and wife as they were always defined um so until those laws change um it's uh it's very difficult there is a way under the domestic violence act for uh providing you know protection and maintenance 
but again, that that's an act that can be invoked only under very specific circumstances. That is not applicable in all cases of live-in relationships. It's only in cases of domestic violence. Tell us a little bit about, we know that recently the Supreme Court has been looking at same-sex marriage, the issue of that. Tell us how this applies. Uh, would uh, would it would would same sex relationships uh, with same sex couples who decide to go in for a live in relationship do they have any protection under the law? So I I think it'll be interesting once you know once the 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 matter in the Supreme Court uh, you know comes to an end and the you know government has said it'll you know work with the community frame certain guidelines presented to the court and all of that because. Once that happens, and if you know it was, it, it it seemed from the hearings that you know recognition of live-in relationships was going to be the way it was going to go because they didn't want to interfere with marriage. Um, then it would present a very interesting situation where you know because if you have uh, you know formal uh, recognition of live-in relationships for queer couples. Uh, then it would present a very anomalous situation if you don't have it for uh, heterosexual couples. So that might actually end up uh, pushing uh, some reform in this area as well. Which are the specific areas that need reform, ma'am? You said the family laws are still recognizing a couple only as a husband and a wife. Uh, and therefore, everything that falls from that, which is like maintenance, alimony. Uh, what about what about child custody? What about, uh, what about uh, uh, providing support for the child? Are those provided for even if the couple is not married? So there again, as I said, whether you're in a live-in relationship or not, it doesn't matter. You are treated as any other couple that has had a child out of wedlock. You know, that the, the fact of your being in a live-in relationship or a marriage-like relationship then be, under law today as it stands is irrelevant. Uh, it could be any, uh, you know, relationship that has led to the, the birth of a child. Under law, the uh, where a couple is not married, a single person is... The, the, the law does not recognize the joint custody of a child by a couple that is not married. In case of an unmarried person, it is only a single person who gets custody. So if it is, for instance, a, a person who has given birth to a child through a living relationship or any other relationship, uh, then the child is solely in their custody, though they may have some rights against the other person as well. But under law, it is it is one person. Similarly, if you're adopted, um, you have rights. Uh, however, there is a much clearer demarcation of who has custody and it is not you know, given as, as jointly. So the, whether you're in a living relationship or not, it doesn't make a difference. You're in these situations, they would be treated the same as uh, any child born out of wedlock. In the Allahabad case that we were referring to earlier, uh, one of the people in the relationship is said to be already married uh, and has chosen to then enter into a living relationship with the other person. Does this make a difference when it comes to the courts adjudicating? It makes it, I, I would imagine that it probably makes it easier for the courts to then say that this person has no rights. Especially if they knew that the uh, uh, that the person was already married. 
uh, that the third party uh, does not cannot claim any rights when they know that this person is already married. Uh, what happens in these cases is that, uh, I mean, one a lot tends to depend uh, circumstantially, in fact, on the courts as to whether or not the person knew and if they entered into this willingly or if they were also defrauded by this person who has been married and is in, in a living relationship. Uh, that's a big part of it. Uh, the second thing is that then you have another claimant with possibly a superior claim uh, to a person's resources, finances, etc. So what you can legitimately claim would certainly be vastly reduced. Tell us a little bit about what you feel. You said, uh, like I was asking you earlier, you said there was a lot of ambiguity. What are the areas that need clarity? One uh, you talked about was alimony and maintenance. Uh, what are the other areas that need clarity if, if live-in relationships were to be recognized, for instance, if after uh, queer couples' live-in relationships are recognized? Well, like I said, you need a clear framework for entering into a live-in relationship just like you have for marriage. Um, because otherwise, see, if you want, marriages come with a lot of rights and a lot of recognition, but also a lot of restriction on freedoms, right? Then you cannot, for instance, marry somebody else. There are restrictions on how you can leave, exit that marriage. All of those restrictions would also then apply if you want to live in relationship to be treated the same way. Uh, so one is that you'd have certain framework for entering into it. You'd have a certain framework for exiting. How can one exit? What is the procedure? What are the rights and responsibilities on the breakup of that relationship? Whether or not you're getting similar benefits like you have financially, tax-wise, etc., cetera, uh, insurance-wise, and all of those things, whether or not those would apply, you know, those ancillary benefits would apply for living relationships uh, is something that needs to be considered. And not everybody wants that. So that also needs to be taken into account. You know, some people who are advocating for recognition of living relationships at par with marriages would like that. And some people don't want that because they, the whole point for them of not entering into a marriage and only entering into a living relationship is uh, to have more flexibility. So a lot of that needs to be taken into account. But certain rights, qua each other, qua society, uh, would have to be in place. Uh, the right of recognition, clear framework regarding child custody uh, and maintenance of children and alimony. All of those things would need to be hammered out. Does the length of the relationship matter in these cases? That's one way that, uh, you know, countries abroad also do it. Some of them in, in Europe in particular, that if you've been living together for a certain amount of time, it's deemed to be a marriage, you know, common law marriage for example. So uh, that's one way of going about it, that you can have a live-in relationship and after a certain point of time, it starts to get treated as a marriage and that's when this particular kind of framework kicks in. But till then, you have a certain kind of flexibility. Of course, subject to uh, certain bare minimum protections like the Domestic Violence Act and the rest of it. But that financial uh, you know, sharing obligation, things like that would kick in after a certain number of years or if children have been born. All of those can are things that can be explored and there are models in other countries for that kind of thing. 
it seems to be getting increasingly difficult, uh, as uh, we talked about earlier, for intercaste and interreligious couples to even marry, much less live safely without harassment. So in such a situation, do you think that drawing up a framework for live-in relationships, which is what perhaps couples could go in for if they find mar- getting married difficult, is, is necessary right now? Yes, I think, you know, in practice, it can go either way. Uh, a couple may find it more difficult to get married and therefore having a proper framework for a live-in relationship may work better for them, may be more accessible to them. On the flip side, there are also situations where a couple really needs that, you know, the recognition and the sanctity that comes with, that is attached to marriage. Uh, You know, that's something that, you know, it's difficult to, you know, say, you know, even rent a house, for example, or uh, be next of kin uh, in medical emergencies and things like that. And you know, how much are you going to, at, at those points, try to educate people that, oh, Supreme Court has said this about living, living relationships. It doesn't, it's not practical. So I think both the things, uh, both the things need to happen because they do, see, for a lot of people, marriage is something that is very religious. For a lot of others, it is, you know, a partnership, uh, a more practical kind of partnership to enter into. So you need to have both the kind of, both those frameworks to be accessible to people who want to opt for one or the other or who need to opt for one or the other, depending on their individual circumstances. Thank you so much for speaking to us, ma'am. My pleasure. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.